Welcome back for another Film Friday episode. Dan, back on once again. Good to have you on the pod. Yes, very happy to be back. Very excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, we, I'll let you introduce it. So Yeah, well, we're, we're doing Inception. Now, this is a film that we've talked about multiple times this semester because I've never seen it. I think you've seen it a couple times, but... Like 15. <laughs> this was your movie, and I wanted to get your... Like, why, why this movie? I'll literally start off straight up. Um, I mean, I remember seeing this probably like in 2014 or something like that. It was right after Interstellar came out. I was like, oh, that was good. What else has this guy done? I was like, oh, he did the Batman movie. This is cool. And then I saw Inception. I'm like, oh, I've never seen that. And I think it, it's not my favorite by Nolan. I think it's still Inter Interstellar, but this is definitely in, in second place. Um, I love, you know, Simply, I think the editing is some of the best that I've ever, you know, seen in any movie. Um, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, the editing is really how Inception works. Um, and yeah, it's also just a lot of fun. It's creative. It's different. Um, and, you know, and I, I wish we had, you know, more movies that had, you know, the originality um, uh, that, you know, Inception does. So. Yeah, difference the best way to put this because there's like not like there's a plot to it like don't get me wrong but there's no plot like there's no it's not a history movie it's mm -hmm. not like a like genres like horror movie it's just like oh they have to like break up this corporation for this random guy that they don't know like yeah, exactly. that's kind of the framework for the film mm -hmm. and I think one of my favorite parts about this movie is how little they focus on the technology I think like a lot like I think there's not very many you know movies or tv shows that you can really compare with in inception which i think makes it a little bit tricky sometimes to try and think about um i think the closest that i've gotten um is probably something like westworld i don't know if you've seen that but oh, um, there's a lot of um you know similarities in terms of reality and how you you know sort of question that um within your own you know sort of headspace um and, you know, the two are very different, although, you know, it happens to be that Christopher Nolan's brother is the showrunner of, um, of Westworld. So, you know, that might have something to do with it, um, which is kind of funny. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's it is very different. Yeah, I'm thinking about it because you brought up a good point there. I don't think I have a movie cop for this. Like I there's generally is no way to fit this in a genre. Like the only thing I can come up with, it would be in the brand of like futuristic technology but it's not even a technology it's just like an everyday thing this movie yeah. timeless is the best it doesn't it. it doesn't necessarily feel like it's in the future the entire time you know it definitely so. like you can you, you you definitely feel like it is but it also like you know just so, some of the spaces don't always feel like the most futuristic so to speak um but yeah no it's it's really hard i think to kind of pin down a, a time period of when this could be happening yeah, like um, my closest guess would be like it's a modern day, like it's a present day, like there's no time to it, but it's in the genre like like the cousin of like the alien movies. Yeah, it, like, it's like a sci-fi, like sci but not yeah. as much the sci-fi. So. Yeah, it, it's sci-fi, but it's way more down to reality. But with concepts that I think it's a nice balance, it's kind of like the duality of the film, like the real versus the imagination, the real world versus the dream world. It's mm -hmm. kind of basically like incorporating that into a film, which sounds simple, but like on paper that's a horrible movie plot and in reality it's a four-time oscar winner and eight yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah another thing that stood out for me from this film is that 
I think for someone who's never seen it before, it's a total trip because it's stuff that we think about all the time. Like, oh, dream within a dream. The concept of, you know, being like the idea is like the most dangerous thing ever, because once you have an idea, you can never lose it. Like mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, the psychology behind it, even if you're not into like that field is astonishing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's some of the most um, powerful sentiments to this movie is the way they deal with um, not just like the dream space, but what happens in the dream and how that correlates to, you know, what people think different people think about what certain things are affecting certain people like Cobb, um, who has a lot going on. <laughs> um, can, pretty much compared to everyone else he definitely has the most going on um and how that can affect what you do in the dream and how that sort of presents itself um which I definitely think is super interesting especially with you know Dom or Cobb's backstory his name is also Dom which I think is super funny I was just saying we have to tackle this issue at some point (laughs) yeah (laughs) um we'll we'll, we'll stick with Cobb uh (laughs) um but yeah, and Cobb, he, he, he deals with so much from his past and he has so much experience in the dream world that, you know, we do see this notion of, you know, he does frequently question his reality. Um, and I don't think we really, it's very hard to relate to that until towards the end of the movie. Um, but I think, you know, they do deal a lot with sort of Cobb's backstory. Um, I pretty much right after the halfway point of the movie, they deal with a lot of that. Um, and we learn a lot. I think what's cool is we learn a lot of that through Ariadna, who's very um, inexperienced with this whole dreaming thing. Um, so it's good that, you know, I think her character is extremely important for us to understand what's happening within the dream world and sort of the physics and the rules that uh, go on within that uh, specific, you know, the, within the dream yeah for the world that they create i think my craziest thing was the part where they're like whatever you do don't make dreams out of memories which is kind of mm-hmm. crazy because we do that i think everyone does it all the time like half your yeah. like half your like visuals when you're sleeping is there any stuff that's happened before that you can mm-hmm. either replicate or like redo like redo again yeah in fictitious world and they're like the golden rules you never do that because it can lead to so much emotional stuff trauma oh yeah and more importantly i think the message they're trying to say is you going down a path that doesn't exist Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I always, you know, I remember when I first watched, it, I was like, oh, that's interesting because the way we dream is, I feel like, so much has so much to do with memory and what we experience. You know, even just day to day or you know stuff that can you know haunt people throughout their entire lives. Um, so it's interesting to sort of hear that rule of okay, there's nothing that you could put in here that has to be that you know can't be from memory. Um, which I, it almost seems counterintuitive just because that's the way dreams kind of work. Um, but, you know, it makes sense, I guess, in the context of the movie. So Other scientific concept I don't grasp is like five minutes in the real world is an hour in the dream world. Mm-hmm. The idea, the maze idea, like the idea that basically you need to create like a thing in your mind that, you know, other people, like it's like unpredictable, that whole concept. Mm-hmm. That, that 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 those two components in particular are kind of like just scary i think that's like the, like they're eye-opening but they're yeah. also just scary yeah. the, the time differential between you know the real world and the different dream levels i think is a lot of fun um and it it definitely can mess with you know i you know viewers as they're watching trying to you know figure out how much time is really passing within each of these dream worlds and it gets a little tricky for me um within the third level uh, just because I, I 
I don't remember how much of a difference from the second to the third is, but it, it feels a little bit imbalanced, just the way you know the movie uh, plays out. Um, but other than that, I, but yeah, potential nitpick for later in the pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little, little nitpick. I will say a couple other things that stood out. So number one, if I had to, if I had to, I came up with a movie comparison. Here's what I think it is. I think it's like a kind of blended together version of iRobot with Will Smith. That a whole idea, like kind of like that more way less robotic, way more psychological i think it's mm-hmm. part kind of like the james bond you know jason Bourne. like there's they have oh, yeah. those fast cutaway mm-hmm. scenes and mm-hmm. then i don't and then kind of like a real world i don't like kind of like in a real world setting i think that's probably the perfect blend for that yeah no i i agree that that's good comparison i like that yes <laughs> yeah so a couple other things that stuff from this phone then we'll get on to the category so big thing for me the visuals in this movie are amazing i think this is the winner by far of the if you were on drugs award this would look awesome movie <laughs> yeah. I think just based on everything like it really mm-hmm. came out good like it deserves like the, the the win and all but it's just like the first time you watch it like especially the first dream sequence with the girl that he extends the invitation to for the mission mm-hmm. is like awesome oh yeah definitely yeah that's cool um i actually i put the uh the netflix thing on the window paris kind of folds in half is <laughs> yeah. super cool i don't know how they did that but um it, it's very interesting i i love that moment too for ariadna it definitely plays into sort of her curiosity that ultimately i think ends up saving Cobb. um you know without her there is no you know success to what they're doing um given just how far down she goes within the dream as well this wasn't really anywhere online but i think another big picture message at least i took away was just everything regarding like holding on to the past like not letting mm-hmm. go and like mo- not moving on it clearly yeah. shows that like it's not just like a physical thing where this guy's like fighting these like projectors that could come and kill you right it's that he's mm-hmm. dealing with the emotional trauma from that too i think that's pretty big yeah definitely definitely mm-hmm. all right so interesting thing you brought up that i love that you brought was that christopher nolan yes he like helped direct and produce batman what's funny mm-hmm. is that this movie like did not know this was originally completed back kind of like in the early 2000s like he created this thing called insomnia which is another great movie like yep. along mm-hmm. that same realm but instead of producing this movie he went to produce one other film and then the first two of the batman movies for this pat the, the second i guess not this yeah. upcoming trilogy was- the last one yeah it was Batman Begins, then Press, or it might, it might be the other way around, but Prestige, Batman Begins, and Dark Knight. Yeah. yeah, no, that's the order. And then those were, again, oh, yeah, it was 2005, Batman Begins, then Prestige in 06, and then yeah. Dark Knight in 08. And then after that, he makes this film and puts it together in 2010. Mm-hmm. I think that, honestly, my, my take is I think those films really help incorporate, like it was where I think they helped incorporate what was going on in Inception, but I think Inception is totally different. Oh, overall than those other three films yeah definitely and you know i even prestige it's interesting and not that we're talking about it but um it's interesting that with the placement of that movie how different christian bale is with those two uh, between that and batman um but anyways you know it, and it's cool to see so many of the inception act actors go to dark knight rises as well it's <laughs> so yeah. literally dark knight rises but before <laughs> well even creepier is seeing tom hardy like a decade like before he becomes like 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 a venom that's that's Ooh, crazy yeah. To me. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it is crazy it, like it, it reminds you like the award i would give this is like seeing paul rudd in the anchorman we're like oh paul rudd early sighting and it's kind of like that same notion there what do you, you think of the acting over on this movie 
Um, I, 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 I think see best actor. I mean, Ken Wintanabe is uh, one of my favorites. Um, I thought he did a great job. I think, you know, him sort of his relationship with, you know, Leo within their two characters in the movie, I think is a lot of fun. Um, you know, Elliot Page, also great. One of- I um, love Elliot Page, he's so good. One of his breakout roles, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, obviously, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is always, always good. Um, I think definitely who really steals the show is Marion Cotillard. Um, I thought she yeah. had probably the best performance in the movie. Um, you know, and I mean, Leo always does a good job, but I think, you know, it's playing the character of Maul is got to be super hard. <laughs> You're playing a character that's already dead and you got to kind of figure out how you approach that, you know, and you're really playing off, you know, Cobb because, you know, you have to remember that you know, those two characters are so closely, even more closely related because Maul is a part of uh, Cobb's subconscious or whatever his, his mind, I guess. So, yeah. Oh, no. So we got to have this debate now because I think this is our first DiCaprio film probably on the pod that I was, I off the top of my head. Okay. Where does this rank on the best DiCaprio films ever in terms of when he started? Ooh. Ooh okay. So here are the cameras. Um, You've got like Titanic in the nineties. You could do Blood okay, Diamond yeah. in 2006. Wolf I love Wall Blood Street. Diamond. Departed uh, 2. That's, oh God. The, Re the Reverend. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street too. Oh my God. I, I, think, I, I think I would put this third personally. I think I think Wolf of Wall Street one. I think Blood Diamond two probably for me. Diamond two. I love Ooh, Blood Diamond. Okay. I think it's an under a very underrated film. It's coming on the pod think, team, you and me. I I think I would do Shutter Island first. Oh, see, I've never seen it, so I gotta. Okay, I, all that right. I, one that's too. probably my favorite of Leo's um, that he's done. I also am a huge fan of The Departed. Um, Blood Diamond was really good. Um, my God, what else has he done? Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you could do. Yep, yep, great, that's yeah, a good great one. Great Gatsby. Not, I haven't seen The Revenant yet, but I, uh, I that one's close. Yeah. Really good, so I got to watch that. Um, yeah, probably Shutter Island, Django, and probably Inception. Yeah. You could do an entire pod, probably just I know movies, right? <laughs> yeah, like I think out of all those, like six of them could have been like rewatchables down like easily. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the one I, I the, the part is a good one. I haven't seen the part or uh, that one, yeah. So no, <laughs> yeah, that one that one might be a future one for us. But yeah, so DiCaprio. So you think it's number two all time? Is what you said? Yeah, I'd probably say either two or three, something like that. Yeah, well, it's definitely, you know, no one brings out the best of everyone, so. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because there's a huge plot twist with this film where I did some research, and besides DiCaprio, Brad Pitt and Will Smith were also in talks to be the lead role, but Christopher Nolan only built the cast if DiCaprio said yes. Like, in terms of building, like, he gave a lot of influence to DiCaprio. A big what if here is what happens if this film is with those two actors and not yeah, then who else is in it, you know? I think this would be a horrible movie if either of those two are there. I don't think it's a good fit. I think, yeah, I think having somebody younger like to, I mean, I guess Brad Pitt was young enough then. But he's, um, too, he's too macho, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I like, think. Think of like the movie Seven where he's like doing like, but what's in the box? Like he's more of the angry emotional, not the sad emotional. Yeah, I think Do or, uh, DiCaprio has, um, he's always had a better way of showing some of those darker emotions. I feel like, um, 
And I think Will Smith could do a, a good job with that too. Um, but I think when it comes to a movie like Inception, having a familiar face like, you know, DiCaprio in particular, um, I think helps bring people in a little bit better. He's definitely a, a little bit more of a, you know, his character does seem to be a little bit more relaxed. And I think, you know, I think Will Smith and Brad Pitt maybe would bring a little more energy into it. Um, not, and, you know, I think sometimes less energy is better, um, especially in, for in this case. So another tidbit for this movie. So this film was somehow the fourth highest grossing movie in 2010. The funnier part, though, is that I'm going to read off the top 10 films and okay. you're going to see how this Inception movie is the elephant in the room because the other movies don't make sense. Okay. So hmm. going from 10 to 1, so 10 is the 10th most raised. Okay. How to, Train Your, how to Train Your Dragon was 10. Okay. Despicable Me was 9. Hmm. Tangled was 8. Iron Man 2 was 7. The Twilight Saga was 6. A Shrek movie was 5. Inception was fourth, and then you had Harry Potter, Alice in Wonderland, and Toy Story 3. But Alice really, in Wonderland? Really? Yeah, it was a very, I mean, it, it was, I think it was the first remake for that film since like. I think it was too, yeah. Wow. Yeah, since like the eight, like ages ago. The, but the shocking one for me is I, I'm surprised the, it's all kids films, and then you have Iron Man 2 and then Inception. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. No sense. That's, a, that's a crazy lineup. Wow. Of, of kid movies yeah <laughs> yeah and then you have i'm surprised harry potter was third yeah that was when everyone was big into harry potter before things fell off the rails with some pretty horrible spinoffs and some well, yeah, rally I mean, controversy and it really fell off a cliff <laughs> <laughs> oh let me see the other thing too i guess with the oscar research that i did so this movie was tied for the third most oscar noms in 2010 Mm -hmm. uh number one was the king speech which is a really good film that, yep, that makes sense kind of like the, i always call it the parasite movie where nobody saw it until they resaw it a month before the oscars and were like holy crap this is awesome yeah my favorite stat though is that it's tied with the social network and that's one of my favorite movies ever so mm -hmm. i guess i have to put it kind of on par with that movie because i love yeah. love that movie to death but eight eight nominations that year and they so they won four but most of which though were kind of those editing the technical aspects yeah yeah mm -hmm. i mean that kind of speaks itself for the movie right oh no definitely nolan movies are always very technically sound and some of the best you know technical you know movies that ever been made so you know and those were definitely no surprise i i definitely think that it wasn't quite worthy of best picture but like if you had to put like best sci-fi of the year it's easily best sci-fi of the year so yeah, it's, well, I'm looking at the list. Underrated thing is that Christopher Nolan was not nominated for best director, and nope. DiCaprio mm -hmm. was not nominated for best actor, which is really which is really stunning. What else was it? Um, let's see. So it was nominated for. I'm trying to see right here. They've got a couple. Let me pull it up. Uh, so they, best cinematography, sound editing, sound mixing, and visual effects. Yep. It got other nominations for best picture, best original screenplay. Best yeah. art direction, underrated. Yep. Best original score. This this movie had a great score. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh yeah, I I still play some of the tunes on the guitar because there's some good riffs that that Hans wrote. He's a, he's a goat. There's no need to question him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think definitely the toughest award to decide in this movie was best original score, and you were between the Social Network, which won. Yeah. This movie. Yeah. And then the King's Speech, which ended up winning like eight or ten Oscars that year, which that yeah. that that was death. Have you ever seen the King's Speech or no? I have not seen the King's Speech. 
and I do I do need to, but um, haven't gotten around to it yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I told yeah. So the good news, I mean, it was the only it was one of it won the most Oscars tie, or tied with the most Oscar wins with four, and it was mm -hmm. only one of six movies to have more than one win. So yeah, yep. just to say the least. Mm -hmm. I will say it is weird because I think our last movie didn't have that much. 1917 didn't have, or it had a lot of accolades, right? I think it was like 10 nominations. Yeah, it had quite a few. Yeah, compared um, to the last time. Especially on the technical side sort of thing. Same same sort of thing, but yeah. I mean, if we're comparing, it's definitely a totally different type of movie to what, like, not only, like, forget, like, the genre, but I'm saying even, like, the time period. There's, like, a different movie audience are going for here. It's, it's definitely a, a changing movie landscape just in a decade. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. I think movies now are so focused on um, performance and how to bring the best out of actors with a, sometimes like a, it can either be a decent story, a bad story or a good story. Um, but, you know, I think the best part about Nolan is that his stories are always sound and, you know, he continuously, you know, takes, you know, just basic, you know, film structure and just, you know, with inception, it kind of just, says you know whatever yeah i had the hardest time trying to break down this movie um trying to decide like what goes where within you know like a general film structure um and i actually i kind of dived into this book i have um all about every nolan movie it's called the nolan variations check oh, it out if any anyone's um um big nolan fans um but yeah, I, there's some cool little behind the scenes stuff of, you know, the entire heist. I don't know if you can see it, That's but like insane. he has a full chart, you know, laid out of what happens when and, you know, what are the like the more important moments, um, which I thought was pretty cool because when it comes to the heist, you know, it's there's so much editing involved and so much piecing together because, um, you know, we hop back, you know, back and forth like a lot. And that, you know, the sort of the second half of the movie is super crazy. Yeah, it's also another winner of the, like, first, thir like, I guess last 35 to 40 minutes is absolutely just off the walls and chain in insane compared to the first 120 minutes. Also, mm -hmm. what do you think of the runtime, by the way? Two and a half hours? A little too long? Just right? Too short? I, I think for this movie, it's just right. Um, I, I think agree. there was a lot of setup they needed to do, um, which is still, you know, very much entertaining. And very helpful for us to know um, going into the second half of the movie, um, which is why I used to kind of, I was getting stumbled earlier today when I was trying to break it down is, you know, sort of, it, it all feels like, like first act just sort of set up explaining the rules of how things work um, in the world of Inception. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah, I, I had to break some rules when I was writing this down because <laughs> some of it doesn't quite fit, but it also makes sense at the same time is the tricky part but yeah all right i think we're ready to get into the film because it's almost at the half hour mark so we'll start yes. with first category favorite scenes let's just list off a couple scenes off the bat that we could talk about i'll let you go first um i i love i think what nolan did with sort of like the the first shot you know building in you know yep. uh with you know old sido uh trapped in limbo um, I thought that was a, a great scene and I love how they use that little poem, you know, are you ready to take a leap of faith or become an old man filled with regret waiting to die alone. Um, I love that little poem and it's always fun just to see it pop up here and there. Um, and, you know, it pops up at pretty key moments. I think the 
the first time is like 20 minutes in when Saito offers Cobb the job and a couple other places. But I love that beginning scene. Um, I think I'll let you go ahead. Well, well I would say to touch, to touch on that once one scene that I really like is also that opening scene. I mm-hmm. like the way how they put them in limbo. And then as they're talking, like their characters change back to like the younger self. Yeah. So I've already said time's just not going to exist in this movie. It's just like in reality, it's a concept. We have, mm-hmm. we have, we have no master over it. Another scene I like is the first dream sequence with DiCaprio and Adrienne, where like they kind of like get put into that. Mm-hmm. Like, how'd you get here? What do you mean? I like, I got here. Like, no, how did you it's like, wait a second. It's like, wait a minute, hold up. Like that was trippy. Yeah. I, I love how they, I love how they did that because you kind of, you jump in like, like, you know, you're still in Paris. And so like, it all makes sense, but you, you, you don't like, there's no telling us, they don't tell us like they're, we've gone to the dream, which I think is super fun. Um, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Such a great little cut. Um, you know, no one says like the most powerful, you know, tool in, in movies is just the cut. And he's absolutely right. Well, and I think it's, I think it's a small theme because again, one of our big probably themes we both took away from this film is that like, if you wanted to time just does not kind of exist in reality. Like we kind of like, it goes, like we feel it goes slow, but it goes fast, vice versa. All that, all the stuff that you think comes yeah. from, like how we perceive t- like what our perception of time is and like the normal jump cuts, just the normal thing in film. But in that world, it was like an underrated meaning of like, yeah, like you don't really think about how you got to places. You just assume you got there and stuff, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that I picked up on, um, which gave me a greater appreciation for this scene was sort of, uh, you know, going into, you know, Saito's mind and right in the beginning after, um, you know, when they're at the, you know, the dinner table, like talking within the dream, within the dream. Um, and I love how they, they explain to you how the dream world works before they even explain it um, with, with the, the watch. And you can see, you know, it either, you know, speeds up, slows down. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting. I actually had never caught that until we watched it together. Um, and so I, I really liked that scene. That was cool. Or at least just like the sort of comparison, so to speak. So yeah. Uh, also, this is not even a scene. Any dream sequence involving Maul and Cobb is just mm-hmm. gonna be odd. like th- those are freaky, dude. Especially the one where like she's got like the glass shard, like the broken wine. Oh yeah, shard. that whole sequence when Ariadna um, kind of like invades Cobb's little <laughs> elevator thing <laughs> or whatever. His little building of just painful memories is. I, I thought that was that was cool and it's it's I like how they did that because they can kind of tie back into you know filling in the rest of the story as they're you know you know mid heist <laughs> just super cool yeah, right? it's good pacing too I, I I really like that yeah uh Tom I think Tom Hardy Barcy needs to be on that list the uh yeah. yes like he's like he's like be back in 30 minutes yeah trying to cause a disturbance and like all that yeah. <laughs> They're just so calm about it. It's so funny. He's like, um, you, you got the tail, wrong tail. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then of course, you know, you know, don't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Tom Hardy in this movie. Any, that, any other, I mean, should we talk about the ending? Any thoughts on if that was the right way to end the film? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I was just reading um in this book that, you know, him and the editor, Lee Smith, I think is the editor. Um, 
you know, they were going like frame by frame through that shot. And they actually had a version where it went a little bit longer after like that little wobble and then it like restabilizes. Um, and apparently like they went back and forth for a couple days on it, like trying to figure out like, when do we actually end this? Like, when is it going to really get the audience? Um, you know, and they eventually they just decided after that wobble and it restabilizes, it's like, okay, wait a second. Now we're, you know, we're still even more up in the air. Um, but I know I read something like a couple of years ago that, you know, you know, somebody asked Christopher Nolan in an interview, like, oh, so what happens? Like, is, is Cobb back in reality or is he still dreaming? And his answer was, does it really matter? And I, I, and I think the answer is no. I, I honestly don't. I think at the end of the movie, Cobb gets ultimately what he wants. You know, he's overcome, you know, his uh, past, you know, with Maul. And now he's ready to be with his kids again and, you know, be a father um, and be a family man. Um, so at the end of the day, I, as, as much as, you know, we all want the answer to the question, I also don't think it necessarily matters because there is a happy ending, regardless of whether it's in the dream world or in reality. Because I, I think at that point for Dom, or for Cobb, sorry, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but yeah. So here, here's my take. I think the first time you watch it, you're like, holy crap. Like what just happened? The second time mm -hmm. you watch it, it's way more fitting for sure. Like I think I, oh, yeah. I like about the ending; it gives you the shock value when mm -hmm. you see it the first time because you really don't know. And then by the second time, you're like, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that stance. It really like the movie still ends the same way whether it's real or not. The funny mm -hmm. part though is that the movie makes it open ended based on the pure way it was shot because we really don't know like at like like with the whole thing with uh. Uh, like earlier with that first dream sequence, like how does it work? We really didn't like establish if they ever got back or not. There's still like multiple levels in the dream world. Mm -hmm. That was never established. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that's the best part about any Nolan movie. He always ends it at, at the right point. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, like with Inception and Interstellar, he leaves it a little bit open so you can have some room for imagination, for your own imagination to kind of think about, okay, what would happen? You know, what, what or what should happen you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, the other thing that stands out to me, I don't think there was a public outcry of like, I just saw this movie for two and a half hours and a bunch of gunshots and dream teleportation for an open ending. Like, I don't think there was a criticism on that front at all. No, no, not necessarily. I think, um, you know, I, I think because Dom is, you know, we see him, you know, come back to the US, you know, we see all that happen. It's with, you know, the feel good music, so to speak. Um, you know, you, you feel a little bit better about the ending, despite the fact that you don't quite know, you know, what state of mind Dom or Cobb is in. Oh my God, I can't stop I, saying I, that. I, I'm in no state of mind right now. It's okay. Um, but yeah, no, I think um, it, it, it's almost even more satisfying that you don't know in a way. It's like, oh, you know, like a little, little tease. All right. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm trying. I don't think there's any other memorable scene, so I'm, I'm going to go with the favorite scene. I think you've convinced me that the ending is the best scene. I think overall. Oh yeah, I mean it's yeah that long shot is so fun. It's such a good shot. Yeah, I, honorable mention for me probably goes to the first dream sequence where we get the explanation. I will say yep. one thing I love about this movie is that they do the whole explaining thing as if we've been there before, but it's easy to grasp, and at the same time, it's mm -hmm. not like boring. Like they don't do the cheesy like we 
like there's some movies I think horribly do this where they kind of just try to shove in the information that you're supposed to know like randomly. I think this movie does not do that at all. No, no, it's definitely very methodical um, and very well structured as to, you know, what information they reveal when, you know, no one is, you know, definitely a master about, you know, doing that. So if you had to pick a favorite scene, what would you pick? Um, probably either. Oh, I have like three, I guess. Uh, that first, you know, sort of dream heist into Saito's mind, uh, the ending. And then also the moment that Fisher, you know, pulls out the pinwheel and cool little tidbit that I found um, is that there is a very, very similar picture of it's crazy how much Christopher Nolan brings into his own movies, how much of his own world, but that's his daughter, Flora, I believe her name is in 2003 holding a pinwheel and it's the same exact thing in inception. It's that's so funny how he did that. Um, but I love that moment. You know, it's very raw because, you know, Fisher is ultimately, a, you know, particularly a, a likable character. You know, we want him to sort of, you know, make the right decision. And it's funny because this whole like, you know, Inception heist part of it is ultimately for the better of Robert Fisher, um, which in a way, you know, makes the whole um, heist feel worth it for, you know, not just, you know, all the characters involved, especially Cobb, but, you know, it feels worth it for Fisher to have just to come to it. You know, it's, it's really funny how that works out. Another big theme, I guess we can move on to the next category. So kind of connects with it. What is some of your nitpicks for the film? Um, yeah, I, I think some of the timing gets a little tricky uh, while they're in the different levels of the dream, yeah, um, which can sometimes be somewhat disorienting as, you know, they say that, um, you know, Arthur has like three minutes um, to do, you know, all the stuff he does within like a half an hour. Like you see little snippets of him, like fighting guys, he's moving people to the elevators, placing charges. And I'm like, wait, didn't they say you had like three minutes or something? And an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just like, oh, interesting. I know there's like the second kick. So I don't really know how much time is Arthur has within that second kick at when they, before they hit the water. Um, so I would assume he has like a little more time, but I can't imagine it's, enough for him to do all that um so what you know it doesn't ruin the movie by any means but you know it's just something that um as someone who studies movies like that it, it, it still somewhat bothers me <laughs> yeah. so two, two things bother me <clears throat> pardon me two things bother me number one the car chase there's no way that guy's driving and lasting that long with all those people asleep and the one guy's driving for what feels like hours and does not get like does not get shot. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's crazy. There's no way. <laughs> hey, you know, and the other thing I, that I notice is that the rules of gravity are only applicable in the first and second uh, parts of the dream world. But when everything's yeah. like shifted around, they're fighting like, you know, and when they're skiing down the you know, the mountains and whatnot. I'm just like, wait a second. Like, shouldn't they like be like going all over the place? <laughs> I mean, the only way you can interpret it differently is like, because it's a dream, we're in the assumption that like we're going faster and the fast in like the third realm is like the normal version. That, oh, that could also be. A yeah. Time. Okay. I didn't even think. If you think about it like that, it comes It makes much more, but it's confusing. Like if you didn't know it. Right. Um, yeah. Other thing that's confusing is that the whole plot line. Okay. I get the plot line. It's supposed to be chaotic, but the guy who told them to go on the mission 
to do this in the first place goes with them on the mission is a cliche that I I, I despise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I could definitely see that after watching it so many times, I've just grown to like his character. Um and ultimately I think he does a good job. I but I can totally see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything special about him, I guess. So yeah. Um, next category, things that age well for this film. I'll let you go first. Ooh. Um, I mean, the the technical, all the technical aspects still stand strong. I mean, this movie, you know, I, I think some people would have a hard time, you know, if, you know, thinking whether this was made, you know, two months ago or 12 years ago. Um, you know, I think it, you know, technically holds up really well. Um, you know, it, it looks great. Um, and I think, you know, overall the, the acting, the editing, uh, the storytelling in general, I think it all holds up, uh, pretty well. And I think it's, it's a movie that a lot of people have probably gone back to watch over and over again, just because of how complicated it is, is probably why it's, it's aged so well. Um, yeah. So I totally agree with you on all those fronts. Something that aged well is for me, again, back to our early discussion, I think DiCaprio in this movie really ages well because he's like right in the apex of his career, like what, six years before he wins the Oscar, but in the middle of all those, like, I think isn't Shutter Island also 2010 or 09? Mm -hmm. It's like yep. in that same range. Yeah, it's 2010 as well. The Django, the Django's, I think, 2012. Like, mm -hmm. Shutter, uh, Blood Diamond was 07 or 8 or 06. It's like okay. in that range. So he's like literally in the peak of his career at oh, the totally. time. And I think though like I think underrated thing, I think the only decade DiCaprio could have played this movie was in that era when he was that young. Like I think he that was the late, like the late before he gets into like the more reverend Wolf of mm -hmm. Wall Street, just slightly older guy. I think that was the most like youthful he could have been. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Which is, you know, as we were talking about, I think that's why he was probably, you know, the best choice for the roles because he had sort of this like youthfulness but also you could tell he's been through a lot at the same time which i think creates for a very interesting um you know character dynamic um or complex whatever you want to call it um just because he does look so young and it's like wait a second this guy has been through like hell and back <laughs> you know and it, it's cool because his personality does reflect that he was in the dream world for so long you know i think he said that you know him and Maul, you know, did grow old together. Um, you know, I, they probably spent the better part of, I think, 50 years. Is that right? Yeah, it was around that range. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's funny to see sort of this, you know, younger looking guy have such a, you know, mature and thought out, um, you know, way of interacting with the other actors um, or the other characters, I should say. Underrated thing that age as well as Maul's character, just the archetype, like, creepy girl that is like haunting him but not like in the ghosty paranormal activity way just like the psychological way is like mm -hmm. it has not been done at least i think in any major film the last decade and plus like that's a one of a kind there yeah definitely. I, I i like i like i think everything related to the psychology behind it, like the concept mm -hmm. of dreams the yeah. idea of like the the real the paradox the paradox stairs all that sort of stuff like it hasn't been replicated since, but I think it's inspired this next generation of like the futuristic slash like 
brain slash like how does everything work kind of movies that we're seeing now and right. less of the like original technically sound movies i think that's a, definitely a big shift from that started with inception yeah i think inception really paved the way for a lot of those um you know sort of sci-fi futuristic um movies just because they realized you know if in, if someone can do what inception did then you know what else can we do so, I, I would argue it's like well, it was probably like the, the the last big step until you get like the maze runner divergent hunger games like that archetype of movie like where it's just like um, it's like part post-apocalyptic yet part real it's got true characters but yet like they're all fictionalized like i don't know i, I think it kind of plays i think that definitely was at least like a, a some component of that just that whole genre it's a new genre like there's no other way to describe it other than like this realistic genre with topics that humans can't handle which is technology space mm-hmm. and yeah. the mind i think yeah, that's like the exactly. best way to put that would be interstellar that'd be all mm-hmm. those types of films yeah definitely there's always such a great deal of realism in nolan's movies that really in, in a way i guess make his movies hit a little bit closer to home just because he really does in a way keeps himself grounded um you know but brings in sort of different ideas that it uh, could be feasible within our own world even today. Um, but, you know, he, like an interstellar, like, you, you know, it feels very real. Um, obviously there are parts that seem like a little bit, you know, somewhat outlandish, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, in, you know, in interstellar, like, or in, in inception, um, you know, it's just like a brief, like that's the, that's the technology that makes it happen. And it's in a briefcase. And, but that's like all we know about it, except that it was like a, a military project. Yeah, I, I, it's crazy that we've been here for 40 minutes and haven't talked about another of those concepts, the uh, like the shock, where like the only way you can wake up from a dream is a shock of any kind. And it can oh, be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's even creepier because we like, we overlook that so hard, but yet when you wake up, it's like you just got like hit by a rock or like, yeah, exactly. Slapped in the yeah. Face. It's, yeah, I always, I always think about that, just trying to like, you know, when we do wake up from dreams, you know, sort of what triggers that. And I like that Inception kind of creates some ground rules for that. Um, you know, either the kick or, you know, getting shot. Um, or I guess in this case, getting shot doesn't really help because of the sedative. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I know something I wanted to touch upon was a little bit more about Nolan's sort of personal um, experiences making its way into Inception. And really, okay. this is, I would say, probably his most personal film um at least you know if we were talking about this in 2010 it was definitely his most personal film to date yeah um i would argue interstellar is a little bit more personal for him um but this is definitely a close second um so what i found out is that uh so christopher nolan was uh primarily unlike his brother jonathan he was pretty much raised in a boarding school um back in england and so there's a lot of you know these spaces that we see that are very much alike sort of his time at boarding school and sort of that sort of grim gothic architecture um and the scene where Yusuf takes him down um to see like all the dreamers you know they come here so they can be waking up um you know that sort of shot of all the beds is very much how very much like the the dormitories that were in um uh that you know Christopher Nolan lived in and yeah so the beds that's sort of the line of beds and just people sleeping on them. That was very influential. And then when Dobbin goes in, or the cob goes into the bathroom, 
um, you know, the spin is top, splash water on his face, you know, he's freaking yeah. out, you know, no one said that's exactly pretty much like how the bathrooms looked like too. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, sort of ideas and concepts from uh, Christopher Nolan's past that really make it into this movie and really, you know, what became, I think, uh, his, you know, biggest or second biggest uh, passion project of his career. Um, I I wanted to say that just because I thought it was pretty cool. Um, it is, yeah. Like I think this might, this, I would agree. I think that's probably up to before Interstellar, probably the most personal. Because usually Christopher Nolan's more action packed than like mm -hmm. on big, like I don't know. It's like big pop culture characters. It's not really like his own personal tale. I think I agree there. Did not know this about this movie. I think it's saying that did age well. Filmed in six different countries, if you can believe it, in total. Yeah, that's that's astonishing. Great. That's absolutely yeah. astonishing. Yeah. I mean, there, there was, they went to Mombasa, Paris. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where they shot like some of the beginning stuff, um, but I guess, you know, Japan, I was assuming to near Tokyo around there. Um, Somewhere cold, the like the Baltic. Yeah, the mountains. Antarctic or like one of those places. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the city was, was it Chicago? They, I know they felt, oh, they filmed in Canada. So Canada might, might have been the cold thing. Uh, yeah. They, they filmed in Tokyo. I know that. But yeah, six other like six countries total is a lot. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, as opposed to like a movie like Dunkirk, which is filmed in more or less the same place. One, one beach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's interesting how that works. You yeah. Know? Right. Is there anything else for you that uh, aged well? Um. Now we can move on to what didn't age well. Ooh, let's do what didn't age well. Yeah. Okay. I'll go first. I only. I, there, this is another film where I'm not gonna lie. Like, it's not really what's an age well. It's like everything I came up with is more of a nitpick. So the one thing mm -hmm. I have that didn't age well, it's not even like a bad thing. This film hasn't been recreated in any way, like not in a genre sense, not in a mm -hmm. like remake sense, not in a same theme, just different way of putting it together. It's a one of a kind film, which I think makes it good. Yeah. But I think in terms of like the down the road stuff, the ceiling, I think we're more making connections like with a thesis and an argument and less saying like this movie influenced a lot of movies going forward. Like the only thing I can come up with is Interstellar in 2014 and it was the same director. So it wasn't really like a, I don't know, like the right. impact was definitely limited. <laughs> that's just doctoral theory at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it is tricky to sort of connect it to other movies, which, you know, I, again, I don't think it's necessarily like a nitpick or like a good thing or a bad thing. I think it just makes it unique. Um, yeah. But other other things that didn't age well, um, I don't say I, again. It's like not hard. Maybe maybe the runtime. Like, could you yeah, make this movie two hours and sixteen minutes instead of two hours and forty five minutes? Like possibly, potentially. Yeah, I a think it slow time ends up running about. I did. I was looking on Netflix. It goes about. Isn't it like two thirty six something like that? So it is, but uh, by the time the credits roll around, it's like two twenty. So two twenty, okay. Maybe maybe this that's the perfect horrible, I would say. I mean, I think that's right. I think that might be the, just right. Maybe we're, we're see we're nitpicking. That's the problem. Yeah, right? you know, and it's like you know, like the new Batman movie was like three hours, and <laughs> you know, I don't think many people had complaints about the runtime. Um, and same thing with like you know, Endgame and you know, Infinity War. Those were all like you know, three hours long and stuff like that. But, so. but maybe maybe one complaint: too much mall. Do we think do we think that we they hammered home the mall um, point enough? I I think I think there's too much of it toward in the second half of the movie. I, I think agree. I think everything was good in the first half, but I feel like we see a little bit too much of these flashbacks. You know, it's almost like if there there's not like enough explanation in the beginning, 
Yeah. But it's also, but I also see why Christopher Nolan kept, you know, insisting that, you know, he puts in different, you know, uh, sequences of flashbacks, um, you know, just to, you know, it's almost like a continuation or con, a continuous reminder um, that, you know, Maul is still very much the villain of this movie, I would say, you know, I, I think, you know, one can make a case for, you know, it's, it's Robert Fisher and his subconscious people attacking, but it's really at the end of the day, Maul, um, who's really affecting, you know, the main character, Cobb, at, at the end of the day. So I, it, it's just weird because she's not always like present within the movie in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, she, she kind of pops up here and there, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm still here, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to, I will say one thing that age I totally forgot about, but the plot twist with basically Cobb knew about Maul being trapped in this world and then Maul like went insane, like took her life and basically it was kind of Cobb's fault. I mm-hmm. like the way that wasn't shoved down her throat. I think it came naturally. It like, did. I don't think it was the yes. plot twist that everyone expected. I think it just happened and everyone was kind of, I think it had the shock value. I will say that. Yeah. I, I like how they put that there and you know, waited to sort of reveal why it happened, um, you know, which is the whole reason why, you know, Inception was possible. And they clue it in, you know, frequently. But um, I like how they kind of saved that towards the end, um, which almost in a way gives you hope that, you know, the Inception they're, you know, doing within the movie is actually, you know, also possible. Um, yeah. yeah. I will say, so that's how I know that there's not enough things that didn't age well, and we're right back on things that age well. I know, yeah. They're bad, they're good. Too good. <laughs> oh, I'm blanking on it right now. I was going to say something cool. But um, I had something else that age well. I'll get back to it. But I think, okay. yeah, there's basically a lot in this movie that I think ages well. I don't think there's a lot that doesn't age well. Mm-hmm. I think uh, maybe, the, maybe uh, Arthur's elevator thing being way too many cuts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Arthur. Yep. Oh, that yep. was my complaint. Something that I think didn't age well. I think they show the, the sequence too many times of like the fight in like the Arctic compared to the hotel with the car. I think they showed that like three times too many. I guess yeah. nitpick, but I think I, I wish they just kept it one or two times. Mm-hmm. We know what the premise is. I, I don't <laughs> think the audience would forget if you didn't include like the seven times they showed that shot. Right. Yeah. It's almost like they were trying to keep it moving, but it wasn't really the movie wasn't really moving at all. <laughs> yeah, it was It was like a slow 30 minutes there, I will say. Yeah, there's, like, there's definitely that chunk of time where not a whole lot really happens. Um, it does feel a little bit like filler, but so I, I, I agree with you there. They pro- that's probably where they could chunk down the time, but, you know. All right, I think we can move on to the next category, a mm-hmm. favorite line from the film. If there's any off the top of your head, let me know. But then, oh, not, definitely don't be afraid to be, dream a little bigger, darling. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's such a great line. It's, you know, you know, don't be afraid to dream. You know, it's like, um, and then you know the poem that you know Cobb and um, uh, Saito go back and forth on, um, which is really you know sort of the cornerstone of. Cobb's character realist and in a way Saito's because he's stuck in limbo for God knows how long. <laughs> so so it's sort of how that just those you know few lines really play out for you know their whole character. Yeah, that might be the automatic winner just because of the impact. But if we had right. secondary nominations, uh mm-hmm. Cobb at one point says an idea is like a virus, resilient, contagious, and even the smallest seed of an idea can grow, it can mm-hmm. define or destroy you, which is pretty creepy. Yeah, that's yeah. 
And in, in terms of the movie, that's definitely powerful and creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I love when Tom Hardy goes, we're trapped in Fisher's mind, battling his own private army. And if we get killed, we, we get lost in limbo to our brains turn to scramble egg. Oh yeah, scramble egg. That's a good one. I like that one. I guess, uh, you're, I, I mean, creepy, but you remember Cobb going, you're waiting for a train to Matt Mall. That's good. Oh yeah, that whole sequence of lines. Yeah. You're waiting uh, it, for a train. You don't know where it's going, but it doesn't matter. Like we'll be together, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to perform Inception, you need imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I that might be. I think that might be all the right there. I, I think I'm gonna go with the poem. Though. I think the poem probably won out there. Definitely. Yeah. I I'll, I'll agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you find any cool facts while watching this film? Because the only one I did find besides the DiCaprio stuff was. Uh, first off, uh, I forget her name. Is it a- a- Arianda? Is that how you pronounce her name? Uh, Arianda. Yeah. Arianda. So it's actually has a, the name itself has a Greek origin, and mm-hmm. according yeah, according to Greek legend, basically it involved that character and this person named Thesaurus, I believe, and helped escape the Minotaur. So the name Adri- like Arianda has like Greek origin. Yeah. Purposely did that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Also, her actor was almost played by a bunch of people, including uh emily blunt and taylor swift which i thought was insane oh interesting emily no, blunt, page was the best choice that's yeah sure. emily blunt yeah. would have been the weird one i think that would have been yeah awesome. that's interesting taylor swift, maybe i don't know but yeah um no elliot page was definitely the move um other fun facts i should know more um besides the pinwheel on i think that's really all i had i think i think the poem was that um yeah there's not too many facts in this film yeah i think i don't know i just know a lot of it came from um oh here's a fun fact i forgot about this one so before um uh they made inception uh christopher nolan had uh the entire cast and i think he did it for the crew too actually he had them all watched uh um uh, the movie based on the album pink floyd the wall uh which i thought was pretty interesting yeah now i've never seen the movie i don't really know the significance of it um but i just thought that was interesting so now i'm gonna have to go and watch it i i just looked that up earlier today but um interesting i guess i I found i found three fun facts i forgot so the first is that the remember how the code for the safe is five two eight four nine one if you rewatch the film, there's multiple times where the numbers match up with different things in the film. So, for instance, right. two hotel rooms are five two eight four nine one. There's like apparently like multiple times in safes, like the color of the screen was blue, and apparently if you put that number as a hex number, it comes to like the same blue, which did not know that. So oh, here's an interesting one though. This comes together. There's a theory out there that Inception was made by Christopher Nolan to be a symbol of a, a movie where basically Cobb is the, is the director, Arthur's the producer. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Like there's a whole theory behind it. I kind of mm-hmm. believe it. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I guess Ariadne would be the set designer, you know, something art director, whatever, I guess. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. I never thought of that. Oh, other fun fact, this could be the last one because this one I think is probably the most interesting. So mm-hmm. the names in the movies all have different meanings. So we mentioned uh, like uh, Ari- Ariad's, uh, Ariad's, for example. So here's another mm-hmm. one. So Dom in Poland, Russia, Serbia, and Cro- uh, Croatia means home. 
which did not know that. Uh, Yusef, which is the chemist that's introduced that gives him the set the sedative. Uh, his the Arabic word for Yosef is Joseph, and he's Joseph is the interpreter of dreams in the Bible in the actual canon Bible, which I did not I, I knew about the first the second part, not the first part. And mal is a French word that is that's called like malheur, which I'm definitely pronouncing wrong, but M-A-L-H-E-U-R, and that means unhappiness. Ooh, interesting. And all the main characters, their names, if you spell the first like letters of each is dreams. You have Dom, Robert, Ernst, Arthur, Maul, and Sado. Oh my God, I didn't even notice that. Which is another sneaky thing right there. (laughs) That is sneaky. And if you had Peter, Ariane, and Yusuf, it's dreams pay. Which is some deep level shit right there. (laughs) That is deep. That is deep. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that Dom means home because there's only... I think the only character that calls um, Dom by Dom is um, Michael Caine, uh, Michael Caine's character. Um, But yeah, so it's funny that, you know, Dom means home. I think Michael Caine's character is the only character that calls Dom Dom, unless Maul does, but I don't know if she does or not. I don't think she does, no. I don't think she well, does, but it's interesting because then we see Michael Caine's character in the movie when Dom is home. Exactly. Like it's very it's, interesting. It's creepy. I didn't notice yeah. that. Now that now that I know. Yeah, Jeez. this is all stuff, of course, <laughs> on the fly research here, but it works. Yeah, that was so, great. <laughs> so let's end on this note because we're almost at an hour here. Oh, yes. Okay. It's always one of these films that we're gonna go back to. Again, this is like when before the pod, this was my second time ever watching the film. So I, I was going this pretty much basically clean. Compared to you, you're the veteran for this film. But what's the reason this film keeps calling back to you? Um, I think it's because there's nothing else like it. Um, you know, it's and it's one of probably one of the most complex movies that's probably out there. I would say, um, in, in terms of you know just pure sophistication. Um, and what I think always works so well with Nolan movies is that you can always learn something new when you go back and you can always notice something different when you go back and watch it another time. Um, whereas like sometimes other movies, you don't necessarily get that and you just rewatch them for, you know, just to rewatch them. But with Nolan movies, you always pick up something different um, every time you watch it, which is, I think, you know, gives it sort of that long lasting appeal, um, you know, just to watch it as, as much as possible. Um, you know, that's why it still continues to be definitely in my at least top 15, I would say. Um, and yeah, that's probably why I've watched it way too many times. Yeah, well, this was Inception 2010, directed by Christopher Nolan, a great yeah. film and an even better pod. Dan, thank you so much for joining. Hell yeah. Thanks, Dom. Appreciate it, man.